Hello, and welcome to Shrink Wrapped, a podcast created specifically for psychiatrists to provide you with bite-sized insight from leaders in your field. My name is Ross Thomason. I'm co-founder of Thalamus, a company creating bespoke software for psychiatrists. Our goal is to create the digital tools that you need to deliver the best possible care for your patients. This week, my co-founder Arden speaks with Kumar Jacob, founder and CEO of Mindwave Ventures. Kumar has a career spent in technology and gaming, a stint as a non-executive of South London and Maudsley NHS Trust, exposed Kumar to the lack of technology provision in the mental health world. Not one to sit still, Kumar decided to address the shortage of innovation by creating Mindwave Ventures, a company which focuses on creating tools for the NHS, charities and private providers looking to create meaningful solutions in the space. Alongside working with Thalamus, one of their key projects at the moment is the open source personal health record, which they are building collaboratively with a number of NHS trusts across the UK. Kumar and Arden discuss why he first got interested in technology and mental health, what he thinks the future holds, as well as some of the positives and negatives of bringing innovation to the NHS. I hope you enjoy listening. Good morning, Kumar. Thank you very much for uh, joining us here on Shrinkwrapped. Uh, morning, Arden. No, thank you very much for asking me. We're welcome. So, as I've said in the introduction, you've been involved in technology and mental health for a number of years now. How did it all start? My interest in technology, and particularly technology used by the general public, as it were, actually comes from my games background. I have been in computer games since the mid-90s, so that's where my initial interest came from. My involvement in mental health started in the late 90s when I joined the board of South London and Maudsley, where, of course, as a non-exec director, I was involved in the early stages of strategy on what needed to be done. At that time, it was very much around larger programs that were coming through. And also, from a personal point of view, I'm married to a psychiatrist and I'm father of a psychiatrist, so I suppose it's an area that I have great interest in. And about five years ago, I brought those two uh, parts of my life together to form MindWave. Fantastic. And what is it that MindWave focuses on doing primarily? What's your main objectives? We work with NHS charities and private sector organizations uh, who need digital products and services to be designed and developed. So we work with them, collaborate with them to develop these. And our main focus is to produce great products and services that have impact on people. So since you, you said you became involved about 10 years ago, is that right? Or in the uh, mid-90s, sorry? Yeah, mid-90s in technology and late-90s in mental health. Both, I suppose, started coming together about eight years ago, but generally put together as a sort of project about five years ago and uh, formed MindWave as a company around the same time. I initially started with the idea of creating a, what would now be called an innovation hub or something of that sort within the Maudsley SLAM environment. 
But for various reasons, it transpired that it was better for me to do this outside of that. So I set this up as a company and we are formally a spin-out of the Maudsley Biomedical Research Centre. Okay. So since you first got involved, how have you seen technology move forward in mental health over that kind of 20 years or so? I think in mental health and, and wider healthcare sector, one of the biggest changes has been the acceptance of the importance of user-centered research. I think when I first started, this wasn't really seen that much. It was very much, we are going to do this, or we are going to design this because that's what people need. And nobody went and actually asked them whether you need it. Um, there was very little uh, focus on uh, user journeys or user experience and so on. Now, a lot more people are doing it very much led by NHS England, NHS X, and also Public Health uh, England. And other areas of movement, I suppose, are around use of cloud, cloud services, uh, has certainly increased in the last five years. And really happy about many people who have come into the sector uh, from different backgrounds. So the sector has changed so that good people who really want to make a difference, such as yourself, have come in. Uh, and I think it's really good to see not just technologies, not just healthcare people coming in with SMEs within the various accelerators and so on and really trying to make a difference. And I think that will come to fruition in the next five to ten years. What are the, you mentioned two things there user-centered design and cloud services. What are the big advantages of, maybe if we take the second one first, of cloud services? What, what advantages can that bring to technology and particularly mental health? First of all, uh, in terms of the organizations as to where your expertise goes. So, you know, what's the point of NHS Trust building a data center within their premises for a million plus pounds? and having all the expertise to run a bunch of servers and all the services around it when you can leave it to many international providers. Yes, there are some governance issues. Most of them, in fact, all of them have been dealt with. So it is a question of engaging with them using their services so that the NHS trust is not focusing on running boxes of service leave it to the people who are really experts at that. And that is something that needs to happen more. It's not just cloud service. There are a lot of other technological services. There are far too many things NHS Trust still want to do. They should focus on healthcare and leave these things to other people and learn to manage them and learn to get value out of them as well. It's not always that you have to pay top dollar for all of these things. It can be done in a very managed, uh, good value basis. So you think they should be getting better at procurement rather than necessarily doing? Smarter at procurement rather than Fine. necessarily better. Because uh, in my experience, uh, when you say better, it actually ends up being more convoluted and uh, worse. Right. So, okay. User-centered design was the other thing you touched on there. What, what are the big 
advantages to really focusing on design in healthcare software? Before I mention about design, I think, uh, first of all, actually identifying users. I think mostly uh, the sector has moved there, but there is still uh, over-concentration is thinking of patients or service users as the only users. Almost all digital products, the clinician is also a user and others working within the NHS are users. And very often, certainly in products that we are involved in, carers are users. Therefore, it's actually identifying and understanding there are many users. And if you do not cater for users such as clinicians, your product will probably be a failure because there are users who can be influencers in terms of how something is implemented. So therefore, understanding your user base and their benefits and their pain points is very important. In terms of design, uh, two aspects, the whole world of user experience, user interface has changed enormously in the last five years. More people have come in. There are really good uh, designers out there who will be able to design it. The other is our own experiences. Most people have got smartphones and are able to experience good design in the many apps that they use from something for travel to shopping to anything else. Uh, people use up to about 12 or 16 apps in their sort of day-to-day -day life if they have a smartphone. Why should they use crap design when it is doing something good for you? Yeah, I know I have to eat things that are not really tasty for my health. Yeah, I can do that in food, but I don't have to do that in my apps. I can have really well-designed, great apps that are good for me and my health other than my just day-to-day -day life. So you, you touched earlier on, so you work with companies like ours, you also work with charities, but a big chunk of your work has historically been working with the NHS. What's the, the start with the most rewarding part of working with the NHS? Because everybody hears about the frustrations. What are the big plus points of working with the NHS? I think the people, the people involved in technology and particularly among the uh, clinician community, doctors, nurses, uh, psychologists and so on. Um, yeah, you, you come across really, really hardworking, very focused, um, very dedicated people. And it's, it is great to be able to work with them, to try to make their life better. I have spent years in uh, more creative sectors, uh, hotel interior design to making games. Yes, there are great sectors to be in, fun texture, uh, sectors to be in, but here you are actually working with people who are really, really caring and trying to make a difference to a lot of people's lives. And it's nice to be behind them and trying to help them do that better. And uh, with technology and uh, digital technology in particular, I think we are in an era where you can see that the impact can be greater than you know building a nice clinic or whatever. 
So it's good to be in a in an area where you can explore how you can make that impact greater. So the multiplier of how you can actually go for it is uh, great. And and linked to that is that there are pockets, small pockets, of people within NHS who are willing to lead in trying new things, thinking about things in new ways, and really find it rewarding to meet those people and help them do that. Everyone knows it's not easy, though. The NHS is a huge organisation, one of the top five largest organisations in the world. Um, what's the hardest part about working with the NHS? Um, I think, uh, although it is one of the top five and I think it is the fourth largest uh, employer in the world or something, it is actually when you're working with the NHS in England, you are working with fairly smaller organizations. They are generally the trust. So it is not the sort of whole NHS England that one gets to work with. Uh, certainly our experience is mostly with NHS trusts or CCGs or whatever. Pace is probably the biggest problem. Pace at which the organization works in terms of everything is way slower than any other sectors um, and we can probably explore that in terms of uh, decision making or meetings or all of that sort of things but I'll come back to that later. Um, and I think I've already mentioned it, decision making is one of the hardest things. There are way too many people willing to defer decisions to you don't actually have to make them. So actually trying to get somebody to make a decision or a group of people to make a decision so that we can go forward is pretty difficult. Uh, and that's often driven by massive level of risk averseness. Where do you think that comes from? I think combination of just the overall culture is there that you know, a lot of people are not empowered to do that. And I would say increasingly it is around leadership. So I, I would say that too many of the organizations are not, don't have enough leaders who allow people to make decisions and back up their decisions. And especially if you're trying to do something innovative, if you're trying to do something different, you need the more senior leaders to have the back of middle managers. And way too many of the middle managers are being squeezed by senior leaders or senior management rather than senior leaders to deliver and, you know, the performance managed to inch of their life on various pieces of data and also squeezed from the bottom. So, yeah, it's no... No surprise that they don't really want to make any decisions that make their life even harder. So as a, I'm looking for a bit of free advice here, but as a small business working with uh, an NHS trust, what, what's been your experience of how you best navigate those issues? I would go back to the same thing as to what is rewarding. It is people. It is understanding, meeting the people, understanding the people, forming relationships 
and like everything else, working your way through it. So it is actually doing about three things in parallel. First, oneself, you know, as a company, knowing what you do and understanding what you can actually deliver and being able to articulate that and you know, form that to be a solution to whatever the organization needs. Secondly, understanding who are the people within the organization who are actually trying to uh, do the right thing and also as to what their anxieties are. Just because somebody is anxious or slow to make a decision doesn't mean that they are wrong. It's just that they are coming from a particular point of view and you need to engage with them. And it's impossible to engage with them if you don't know them. So for me, everything in business always comes back down to relationships. So once you form a relationship, whether it is really close or slightly more distant, doesn't matter, but it has to be a relationship where you're trying to understand it their point of view and overcome the objections and then you can take things forward. Um, and of course, ultimately, you also need to understand the processes. You know, they are there for a reason. And um, procurement or finance. I was uh, chair of the audit committee at SLAM for eight years, so I, of all people, know what SFIs are, what the instructions mean, why they are, assign them off enough times. So they have to be followed. So to follow them you need to understand or know them first. One of the big Mindwave projects at the moment is this personal health record. What are the key components of this and what's your objectives for patients and for trusts? The key components are around in tools that enable the patient to track and manage their own condition. Um, and this can go beyond mental health. We are currently actually working on uh, cancer, so it can go to any long-term condition, or even short-term conditions. It is available for all. So it is around you as an individual being able to keep data, your own data, uh, relative to your health, obviously, and use that to help yourself. So it is a supported self-management. Also, it's a way in which you can connect to electronic health record from the NHS or any other organization. So you are able to see what they have got. Most of the work we have done is around care plans and crisis plans that people have in uh, mental health, in um, cancer, in sickle cell anemia, all of these places where you need some sort of intervention uh, when there is a crisis, but also there is an overall care plan that is agreed with you. So something like a personal health record or PHR you, enables you to do that. Uh, but on top of that, for us, it's also a means by which you can share the data, share what you're doing, and what uh, the plans are with a circle of people. The circle of people can be friends and family. It could be non-NHS care staff or care professionals that you're working with in a voluntary organization or in any setting actually. So 
using and relating to those people to help them to help you with your life, with your long-term condition, be it cancer, diabetes, blood disorder, or mental health is very important. So with a handhelds and a PHR, it makes it much easier to bring people into your life whilst you are still in control. You can still control as to what you share, what you don't share. Some people to sh like to share everything, some only sporadically, but a PHR allows you to manage that. And what benefits does it bring to the trust? To the trust, it would be in the longer term, I suppose it would help with the care pathway itself. Initially, it actually man allows certain levels of interventions along a particular care pathway. Initially, the biggest impact will be on fairly basic things. Uh, a lot of people in any uh, area are wanting information. In a time when information is a plenty, you only have to Google it. It's amazing as to how many people still come and tell you, I suddenly had a diagnosis of cancer. I can't find anything. What they mean is, I can't get trusted information at the moment I need it. And that is what a PHR could bring. So, taking cancer as an example, the type of information that people seek when you are diagnosed is different from the type of information that you seek when you are starting treatment. And that needs to be available so a trust can provide that in a more personalized, targeted way rather than having a 1500 PDFs on their website. So it's that sort of thing that it can happen. And also tips. So, you know, simple advice as to what you should do. That can come from there. And people do like to see, hear and listen to stories about and from people like themselves. So that is what something like PHR can give. So you are able to say, okay, here's something, a video or a podcast from others that can be sort of shared, given. Now, where would that help organization? In mental health, many psychological interventions, you're probably now talking about one year or even 18 month waiting list. If you use a PHR and give it to the people on the waiting list, you are actually starting that intervention. And I would hope some people who might benefit and may not, or their need for the intervention would change by the time they actually get the appointment. So it is during that period. And then once you have been into the hospital or into a clinical or inpatient setting and then gone away and you're home, then a PHR can help you be monitored better. So that from a trust point of view, your return could be longer or never. And that's where you would have the benefit of the organization. So, as you mentioned earlier, there's, it's an exciting space. There's new people coming in. There's lots of activity. Uh, there's lots of very well-meaning people doing some quite innovative and interesting things. We've got mindfulness apps. We've got wearables. We've got all sorts of new inroads into technology and mental ill health. 
what are the things that you are most excited about and where do you think we will be in five years time two part question I think for me the increasing sophistication use of smartphone apps web apps and uh, other apps where people are able to use it on a more day to day basis similar to how we use a travel app or something that's exciting from a pure usage point of view and i think in the very short term that's where the greater impact will be people being able to use any of these apps same as taking city map out to just do something you really to do something with your life i think that is going to be great and that much wider usage but i suppose looking further ahead and it's going to sound you know same as what everybody is probably saying one would be data and the other is i would say the broad area around what people are calling ai but i'm not necessarily going to say artificial intelligence i'm going to probably focus on more targeted personal and precise interventions now that could be driven by greater use of genomics data so all of us people knowing as to what actually works for us and for us to be able to share that data and people being able to understand that this will work for you Arun and something else will work for me and that intervention could be medical or psychological or just something else that is behavioral all of that sort of stuff it's actually being able to use the data and in 5 years i think if i say 10 to 15 years in mental health i do believe that there will be some big breakthrough in terms of mental health intervention using uh, digital technology and data equivalent to something that you would get from an antipsychotic drug or something so i think that will come along therefore to answer your question in 5 years i would hope that we are in the sort of early stages of that at least have got the right amount of data right amount of clean data gathered and because it is data and so on and we are now talking in 2019 got to act together as to how to use the data so there's quite rightly a lot of anxiety around people as to how you know large tech companies use data and how the data is shared and so on and we have to go through that process to discuss as society you know is that good bad or whatever you know it is not all bad there are we have a project where we use the same data or same methodology to make positive interventions in people's well-being so it is what you do with the data and how you do it i think it will take another 5 years or longer for us to really nail down the correct viewpoint about the use of data the correct governance structures um if we can get all of that done then i think we can use data which is also of course underlies anything around machine learning artificial intelligence to have that sort of real breakthrough that is equal to a new tablet okay 
If you're a young doctor now, if you're a junior doctor, uh, you talked about working with people being the most rewarding part of working with the NHS. If you're a junior doctor, how and who's interested in technology, are there any avenues you're aware of where they might be able to get involved with some of these projects? How do they kind of lean into new technology? There are two or three ways they can do that. So one is if they want to do that within their organization, I would say they should try and identify, if you are within the NHS Trust, what sort of uh, people are within the sort of the digital sector. There are more and more organizations setting up chief digital officers as opposed to CIOs. And if that is a good person who actually is digital rather than IT director who calls themselves and digital offices and also I would look at some really good CCIOs, Chief Clinical Information Officers, have really good clinicians who are CCIOs. I would align themselves with them and come up with ideas and push even small things through. Great innovations come from small changes so it is the small things that they need to focus on that they are actually finding pain in their day-to-day life. They could contact people like us. There are many SMEs in this sector who would love to work with young clinicians with ideas. And uh, I know everybody always complains about money. Yeah. In UK, in London, money is not the biggest problem. It's actually working out the best way to get it. There are many sources of funds and um, it is actually working out what is the best way to go about it. So if you have a good idea, it is always possible to work out a project or a grant funding or investment funding or various ways. It will be hard work, it will take a long time, but it is possible. So I would say don't make lack of funds the sort of big barrier and not do anything about it. And uh, other ways, um, we ourselves are uh, about to host our second uh, MRC-sponsored PhD student. So, you know, there are ways in which people can. It doesn't have to be a PhD. There are ways in which somebody can come and work with us or other organizations um, on a part-time basis and learn how we do things and we learn from them as to what they do in the clinical or academic world. Excellent. Thank you very much. So, in all your travels of mindfulness apps and spending time with psychiatrists and psychologists and everybody in and around this space, what's your go-to tip for relaxing at the end of a busy day in technology? I suppose uh, I, I do use a lot of apps, but I don't think I would say I use any particular app to uh, relax. Um, I, like many others, I, I use Netflix or music apps because that's that's useful. So I put music on through Alexa. Uh, but my main uh, relaxation comes from cooking. So I would put music on through Alexa, probably on Spotify, uh, open a bottle of wine and cook. Very good. Very good. Sounds lovely. Kumar, thank you ever so much for your time this morning. We really appreciate you speaking with us. 
Um, and if anybody does want to get in touch, I guess they just look at the Mindwave website and reach out to you from there, is that right? Absolutely, yes. If they uh, come through the website, they can uh, reach me. But also, uh, I'm available and my phone number will easily come up if you Google me. And um, uh, thank you so much, Arun, for the opportunity. It's been lovely chatting with you. Nice to speak to you. Thanks, Kimar.